0: Hey, hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back for another episode of What's Your Issue. This is episode number 20 of the People's Weekly Comic Book Review Show. As always, I am one of your co hosts, guest, Clean Stamens from GearWorks.com and the E2KG Network podcasting channel on YouTube. Here with me, as always, I have Mr. Stephen Moore. How are you doing, Stephen? I'm doing good. Good, good, good. So, we have some pretty exciting stuff to talk about tonight just because uh, it was a bit of a not a weird week. But for whatever reason, our, each of our individual pull lists happen to have things in it. I actually feel like there, are things, there were things in it that are more akin to what I have historically been accustomed to reading. Um, but that type of content hasn't necessarily been available on the market. Uh, it kind of all converged in a weird like perfect storm this past week with a lot of books that were not necessarily capes and tights books. Um, and they, incidentally, a lot of them also made it onto the agenda for tonight. So I'm pretty excited, Steven. Um, how about you? Uh,
1: I don't know. The reek was okay for me. I did have the same feel you did, but.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I would, yes, I wouldn't we necessarily... don't, You
1: probably read more, I mean, you probably read different books than I did, but.
0: Yeah, we'll, we'll see. I think actually, I mean, I looked at the agenda, I think actually we read a lot of the same stuff. I yeah, I I don't want to say I'm not gonna say that necessarily the review scores trended higher. I mean, we have definitely in the past month or so definitely had higher review scoring weeks. But it, it was just it's interesting in terms of the type of content that uh that we both read and that wound up landing on the agenda. So without further ado. Let's go ahead and get started. Uh, First up in the reviews rundown tonight, and if you don't know the format or the stick of the show, here's the deal. The two of us get together on a weekly basis. We talk about anywhere from, I don't know, like maybe eight to 13 comic books. Six of them we review in pretty excruciating detail, um, and that is at the top of the hour in our review segment. Then we talk about the one book for each co-host that was our absolute best read of last week. And then we go through our honorable mentions, citing any books that stood out, either for really good reasons or potentially even really bad reasons, uh, or just if it was a, kind of a quirky book by a very particular creator um, that's like outside of their norm, we, we might mention that in honorable mentions as so something that might be worth going to check out. Finally, we round out the show by running down our upcoming pull list for the next new comic book day, which generally is two days after we record, since we typically record on Monday nights. Heads up, be forewarned, this is a spoiler cast, so we are going to talk about the books in whatever detail we so choose without due regard for trying to keep anything secret because you can't really review something unless you talk about all the stuff. Now, for a particular reason, we might shy away from like a really big reveal. I think now that I've got a little case history for us, I think that tends to not be the case. So expect that if the book's on the agenda and it comes up, we're probably going to talk about everything, including those critical final page reveals that you often get in a particularly significant book. Let's get started with the reviews rundown. At the top of the list tonight is Justice League number 18, written by James Tinian IV, uh, art by Pasquale Ferry, and letters by Tom Napolitano. Uh, The situation in this one is here we go again with the Legion of Doom perspective, uh, and this is going on. For quite some time, if there's a knock that I have against the book I've been mentioning over the last few weeks, that like I really don't know how much longer you can keep this up. This has been 18 issues now of just the Justice League and the Legion of Doom, essentially. And while the Legion of Doom is definitely like the pinnacle arch nemesis of the Justice League, I don't know that I need the Legion of Doom in every single issue of the Justice League. Um, yeah. this, this time around, it's a little bit more of a talking heads issue. Uh, the first few pages, in my opinion, were kind of rough- uh, because they were the the typical nonsense drivel that you get when two villains get together. Because it's it's about Brainiac and Lex Luthor, and them like verbally sparring, and then eventually they kind of bond throughout the issue. Um, but the first few pages are just like the stupid, like you know, you're stupid, no, you're stupid, no, I'm the smartest criminal mind, no, you're the smartest <laughs> criminal mind, and I, it's like it's like the two smart kids like in fifth grade who like, didn't really know how to do a good burn or what we called in, in my lifetime, like, cut down. Um, and, like, you know, it was just silly banter back and forth. Um, so that's what the first two pages were like. And then, at, then admittedly, the uh, the uh, book then uh, very much matures. And you actually get this really poignant story of two admitted kind of geniuses um, in the DC universe who come – Come to their intelligence from different vectors, um, and but one of whom, in this case, Lex has a more human ability to actually leverage uh, more emotional intelligence than Brainiac does. Um, I find this interesting because uh, it is a it is a thing that uh, I think you go through when you are um, more senior in your workplace or in things that you do. You start to consider. Uh, skill sets that you haven't leveraged. There's actually a really good book called The Leader's Shadow that talks a lot about you know in in the second half of your career leaning on um, skill sets that you don't have. And I kind of feel like that's a little bit of what Lex does in this issue. The art in this issue by Ferry is good, pretty solid. He's not the regular artist. He definitely came in maybe for a guest spot. He might be on for a few issues. Um, It's not the best that I saw this past week, that will probably go to XO man of war, which we will talk about in the show. Um, but still it's pretty good. Most of my problems were it floats a little bit in inconsistency where he cuts back and forth between maybe two or three different styles. Um, the ones that were the most off putting to me, were the ones that were a little too cartoony. Um, it definitely started to kind of lean towards like a dragon ball Z kind of feel. Um, not not full on uh, cartoony, but, uh, but definitely leaning more in that direction. Um, but I will say, the tone of the story and the art did pretty much stay in sync throughout the issue. Um, even when fairy gets uh, a little cartoony, that doesn't really grate against the story. Um, and it almost felt like those shifts were were almost natural or organic stylistically to the scene that was being set um, in the script. Um, there's also a lot of uh, a lot of a feeling of um, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen kind of in it um, when you go back and look at uh, uh, his name is escaping me now uh, the the principal writer on that book um, but, the, but uh, there, Alan Moore yes
1: okay. yeah there's a lot
0: of there's a lot of feeling of um, not, not, you know the, the character models are a lot more rounded out they're kind of very skinny and still like in League of Extraordinary Gentlemen but the place settings and, and and how things were lit especially kind of felt the same. Um, and that's the one thing I will mention about Ferry that I did really like is that if you look carefully in the issue, there's there's points of, um, of luminance in almost every single one of his panels, and he particularly uses that. There's not a ton of shadow work in the book, which is to probably be something that could be a little bit improved, but it, it, in many, many, many of his panels he has very specific point that the, uh, uh, the the light in the scene in that panel is originating from. I mean, he kind of pleased with that as he goes throughout the panels, and I thought that, that was very interesting. Um, there are times where it feels a little bit overly, um, and particularly where the light is like so bright. Like I said, there's there's not a lot of dark panels uh, in the book, um, but I thought that that was of uh, interesting particular note on the story side of things. Um, the beautiful thing about the story is that it's not the norm. Um, you have two villains. Uh, you know, I've been the lead after those first few rough pages, um, but at the end of the day, it's two villains who actually agree to work together. You and I have talked over the last, uh, uh, over this whole run, where I say, you know, this, this thing is doomed to eventually fall apart because you can never get villains to work together long enough because they're all ego-driven. Um, and at the end of the day, they're all going to, you know, double-cross and triple-cross each other, if, you know, while the superhero side of the formula winds up sticking together. Um, so, uh, but but this is of particular interest because now you have these two arguably greatest criminal minds, definitely the two greatest minds that are parts, that are part of the Legion of Doom, actually working together to achieve a, a historically unprecedented goal. Um, so part of the story in this is that, like, the the backstory and origin of Lex and his relationship with his father and who his father was entirely retconned. Um, Very much similar to, and again, we mentioned this just last week and I keep forgetting the storyline, the event in Marvel where Uatu, the Watcher, uh, is murdered and therefore reveals like all the secrets of the Marvel Universe and everything that we were made to believe turns out to be like a complete fake. Um, You know, like Daredevil's father actually wasn't a great man. He was actually like a, a physical abuser of his wife and his child. Um, and, and you know, and Nick Fury is actually a life model, model decoy and all this kind of crazy stuff. Cannot remember what the, what the name of that was, but this is, it felt very Original
1: similar. Sin, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah.
0: Original sin. Um, this felt very similar. I'm like, what in the flock is all this stuff about Lionel Luther? <laughs> um, but, but I thought, but still, if you're going to make a choice, right, you're going to make a deliberate choice and you're going to say, I-, I need to do something in the story and I need to move these characters down a certain path. And in order to do that, I have to reframe things that the readers think that they know. OK, if you're going to do it, be bold about it. And uh, and they definitely and, and Tinian definitely was. I mean, it's Tinian the fourth writing. But um, as far as I understand it, this is this is Scott Snyder kind of architecting um, the whole epic. Um the, the, the neat thing about it again is that this is Lex L- Luthor uncharacteristically being very vulnerable and and shedding a lot of his layers of defense and shielding um, in order to convey to Brainiac that there is a certain way that they need to proceed because Brainiac is heading down the same path that Vandal Savage was and Luthor's kind of kind of uh, you know uh, lesson in the whole thing is yes and 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 I kill Vandal Savage right now he's probably not going to get away with killing Brainiac but but his point is still the same. That Vandal Savage coveted um, the the totality the totality and the source wall for his own purpose, and Lex feels like th- what needs to be done with this is, is it needs to reshape all of mankind. Um, still, all of that being said, again, the critical problem with this is in in all of this thing and all this wonder that you believe this is like Lex like growing. At the end of the day, you're left. Deadly believing that, you know, either Lex or Brainiac at one point is going to double cross the other one. And this is all a big setup and a big ruse. And in the next issue, we're going to find out that nobody was being as, as true, you know, as they portrayed themselves to be. Steven, did you read this issue? And if so, do you yes. have any thoughts, counterpoints? I or? actually like
1: this one a lot. I okay. gave it a, I gave it an 8.0 because I did okay. like the whole entire origin story with Vandal uh, Savage and Lionel Luthor. Yep. And I I thought it was very interesting because it seems like to me they gave him light on Luthor like more of the like the personality he had in Smallville. Okay, yeah, right, right yeah. Right, right. Like he was like he was more involved with with um, Lex Luthor's life and finding out the secrets of the planet. And to me, it seems like that's what he's doing in here and. It's pretty interesting that he was working with Vandal Savage in this continuity and and uh, I actually like the whole origin story about the Perpetuta thing. Perpetua? Yeah. They, uh, Lex, the reason why Lex Luthor wants this thing because it gives some secret powers to humans. And right. The thing about uh, Lex Luthor, what I like about him is that he actually cares about humanity. And that's what makes him an ideal character, and for in his character personality, and uh, I just, I just like that they, Scott Snyder was able to. Well, I know James Talley wrote this issue, but I know Scott Snyder is the lead head of the the series, but uh, it seems like that, um, that I like that that he's. He wants to use this to, to evolve humanity to a point where they can use maybe um powers to uh to maybe defeat, you know, to be a superior race. And to me it almost seems like that, you know in Supergirl, the, C- the CW show, they're also doing this with Luthor. She's um been doing experiments on humans and trying to find ways for them to have powers and to become a superior race against aliens. And this, is to me, is like the same thing here, and I find that interesting. I also do like that uh, that is a contingency plan for Brainiac, and I like that there's a reason why he will work with Brainiac in here. It's not just uh, a one-dimensional viewpoint of him working with brainiac there's actually a a reasoning like he wants to use him as like a hard drive of knowledge space like he needs all his knowledge and he even acts i mean if he said that if there's any betrayal i would i would have a plan to kill you like i have a safe plan so you know it was interesting to see see lex with this. like don't mess with me i have i have a plan so don't double cross me and Brainiac was kind of uh, scared, and he was stumbling about what Lex Luthor has planned for him if he double-crosses him. And I thought that was pretty interesting. It was very solid work for me.
0: Yeah, and the other thing that's interesting in it to me is that, um, is that, you know, so, so, like you said, Brainiac's end of the deal is he'll get all of the, like, data you know and 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 knowledge you won't necessarily get all of the i guess i would say the, the spirituality or the um, emotion or compassionate p- component of what the totality has to transfer and what's interesting is that's great because that's all brainiac wants or needs to yeah. use um and so it and so it fits appropriately uh, at the end of the day i gave this issue an 8.5 so we were pretty much uh in sync with our feelings on it yeah. and it uh, I def- just-
1: I just gave it a lower score because I didn't like, I wasn't a big fan of the art. I didn't like the art too much.
0: Yeah. And I, I mean, I, again, I wasn't like a complete, like 100% fan of the art either. Um, The, uh, but at the end of the day, this issue wound up competing heavily with, with, with my pick for the best thing that I read. uh, Yeah. Largely on the strength of the story, because this is, yeah,
1: the story is great.
0: you you just, you just don't see this in comics, right? You don't see two, like you, you don't, you don't see Dr. Doom and Galactus pairing up and working together and talking through their issues and actually communicating on a highly intellectual and highly emotionally intelligent level and coming to an agreement. So that, that to me felt made it feel like an exceptional issue. Uh, Let's move on and talk about uh, love and romances. Number one, I'm going to try not to spend a ton of time on this one because, uh, I'm trying to do a better job of tracking how much time we expend uh, per issue, um, and we are running behind the curve. Um, So this is – and and actually, uh, I'm probably not going to talk a lot about the issue itself. It's more about what the comic is. So way back in the day – I didn't go back and look at the history, so I can't put my finger on it. But um, Stan Lee and a bunch of his buddies at Marvel actually did romance comics. It was a thing that that for a time didn't exist in comics, and they brought it back – and then it faded again and then they're bringing it back again. And an interesting thing that I've been thinking of recently as I think about like what what do like comic book nerds and 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 geeks like the male ones particularly always complain about it's like man this movie was great but it had this whole romance arc in it, and I didn't really want any of that in it. And I thought about this cuz 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 I have kids and I'm you know thinking about like you know how to communicate and convey things to them, and uh, and there's also this discussion in, in games, which kind of um, uh, kind of hinges on this as well. And and the thing that I've been considering is like, what when when you're when you're a kid, right, or even into your teens, and you daydream, right, or you go to sleep at night and you kind of jumpstart your own dream, thinking about like the the, the like the things you would love to be, you know, many of which are impossible. Um, but I'm like, when you were a kid and you thought about being a hero, I don't know about everybody else. A lot of for me, like in my teenage daydreams of like being a superhero was about getting the girl or the romantic interest. I'm like, if it weren't for that, <laughs> like I, I didn't imagine being Spider-Man just to be Spider-Man. Right. I didn't imagine like being a hero. You know, there was always some, some romantic objective on the other end of that and and I believe largely that that's how people like formulate like you know their their like and joy of these things so it's apropos I think that 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 Marvel is bringing this concept back um how the book is packaged is four individual short stories uh um uh, you know, so the first one is The Widow and the Clockwork Heart. Uh, so the talent on the book is a huge number. So uh, let's go ahead and run through it. The, the first story, The Widow and the Clockwork Heart by Gail Simone, uh, R- Roger Antonio, I think. I may have written the name wrong. No. And uh, Jim Sh- 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 Um The second story, Heartbroken from Beyond, Margot Motin, uh, Paco Dorling, Carter, and Lee Luffridge. Uh, French Quarter by Dennis Hopeless Hannum. Which is weird. I need to look that up. He previously went by Dennis Hopeless. And I don't quite understand why the third name is. So I don't know if that was like a stage name that he was going under before.
1: Yeah, it was just Dennis Hopeless. Yeah. I, I never noticed. Well, the it. hope
0: in, in this book, it's, he's, he's, it's credited with hopeless in quotation marks. So yeah, there's some no story behind that, clearly. Uh, uh, Anna Paula uh, Martello and, again, Jim Sherilyn Petis. Uh, and then Gone Like the Wind by John Adams and Tamara Bonfellong. Uh, all the letters were done by travis Lanham um and so it's it's kind of this uh weird kind of like twilight Zony kind of love story stuff as you would think' because it's comic book still right uh, I think maybe the nice. most interesting is the first one by by Simone uh where the preposition is is that in the future um in order for uh humans to cope better with society um many times they will use robot surrogates um for those members of humanity who have difficulties in finding love um, to help them through like a tough time. And in this instance, uh there's a human male who uh wh- whose wife died. Um and then apparently there is like a grief council which will potentially assign you like a robot romantic interest to help surrogate you through some of these times. And it, and it may be temporary, it may be permanent. Um, what's interesting in how the story is framed is when the story kicks off, you don't know which one is the robot, whether it's the the man or the woman. And uh, there are several panels where uh, apparently inside, whoever the robot is, there's a small, I guess, human, small being of some type who is like pulling all the switches uh, and then cueing the robot to like kiss or hug or do something. Um, And then you get to the end of the story And uh, it turns out that the man is the human and he breaks up with the robot and says, thank you. You know, basically says, thank you very much for helping me through this tough time. Uh, Now I've met somebody who's human and that's who I want to actually go be with. Um, The robot actually has uh, an an emotional response or the equivalent thereof and and basically suffers like an operating system crash. (laughs) Um, And then uh, then it flashes to a panel of the person, the little person inside her, who feels horrible um, because this is a thing that apparently these robots go through is they, they develop some type of feelings of familiarity, at least with the romantic interest. And then if they are left, um, they actually just like can't emotionally cope. Uh, and then basically they have to be rebooted and then they're able to, to move on again. So it's a very interesting story. Uh, Heartbroken from beyond was a, uh, was 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 one about uh, a girlfriend, fiance, young wife who died. The husband was left behind, and um, every time, and he refused to let her go, and so it and so her ghost was trapped on the earth. And it's a, it's a complete short story of entirely silent panels, which I thought was incredibly effective. Um, and basically, what he eventually figures out through trial and error is that every time he holds onto something physically that was hers, um, he can see her ghost. Uh, and then the story ends quite um, sadly with him coming to the realization that he's the thing keeping her here. And then he boxes all her stuff up and closes the lid to the box. And then she's able to move on to the afterlife. Um, so it's like, it, you know, it definitely gets you right in the feels. Uh, French Quartered is a little bit macabre. Um, it is about a young Southern Belle who, uh, whose father like literally keeps her in prison in her room. Um, sleeping on her balcony with a shotgun um, she has found and fallen in love with with a young man who um who has convinced her to run away from him w- run away with him uh, the night that they're going away the father actually puts like like booby traps her balcony with columns that actually have like sharp spokes on them to actually kill someone um, who attempts to climb down from her balcony uh, she goes out to meet the guy the guy is up there at the meeting place uh, what he has actually done is he's tricked her, I guess you could say, into coming to meet him to get her out of the apartment so that he can go back and kill the father, who he knows yeah. will never let her go unless he's dead. Um, and then when she comes back, he's there and says, Okay, let's let's go ahead and go. Um so again, ver- very Twilight Zone, outer limits kind of stuff. Uh and then I don't actually remember gone like the wind. I
1: don't remember it. it yeah, go go like, uh... <laughs> It's with uh, the guy the guy wants to he, I mean, there's a couple that wants to live forever.
0: Oh, right, 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 right.
1: They decide to go into robot bodies because there's a there's a chance that they can experience true love forever. Right. And they, they get robot bodies and for some reason the wife, I mean, they they got robot bodies that weren't uh, wasn't the beauty of their choosing, like they looked ugly, and they were disappointed. They th- and they couldn't change back to their normal bodies. They were permanently stay with those ugly looking robot bodies, and they uh the wife decides to uh break up with, with her husband, and the husband yeah so the husband's rejected, and he's like depressed and sad that his wife left him and. And he ends up like shutting himself down, like in computer shut-off mode for like hundreds of years or 200 years. And he wakes, he wakes up. These people find him in the garbage, and he and he sees this like a total war apocalypse kind of uh, thing going on on Earth. And he meets this alien. He falls in love with the alien, and. They they have a life together. Uh, they go on the they are on the bed and I guess they're about to have sex and someone comes in and shoots the alien down. The alien's dead and uh, the robots. The guy sees his wife. I mean his ex wife that she, he that was with the person that shot the alien down, and he talks about how his life was so horrible. Would you take me back? And she says yes and. That's the end of the story, and they're back together.
0: Yeah, so it's a uh, it's a quirky story of rejection, <laughs> largely. Yeah, um, <laughs> and, and managing that, and and how and how you process the feelings uh, with someone who rejected you. Uh, interestingly enough, I just played a segment in a video game where a love interest of the character you're playing shows back up and uh, ask asked you for your help. And I was like,
1: yep, screw that. Like, we broke up. Like, I'm not helping you out. Help. Yeah, I would have <laughs> broke up with her. I wouldn't take her back. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. take her back.
0: Exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, like, the whole time you're reading the panel, you're like, no, don't get back together with her. So the whole point of this, I think, is... Now, at the end of the day, I only rated this issue 6.5. Um, uh, the, you know, the art is just... I mean, everything about the book is kind of functional. I, again, I think Gail Simone's story was uh, the most... Uh, Interesting from a writing perspective. Um, Some of the other things that kind of been done before the final story. uh, uh, What did we say? It was called Gone, not Gone with the Wind, but uh, yeah, Gone Like the Wind um, was quirky um, and and interesting. Um, The the art at the end of the day throughout the book wasn't like the most spectacular art by any means that I saw this week. Um, And so, like I said, at the end of the day, I wound up giving it a uh, 6.5. Um, however, I find it interesting from its positioning on the market, um, that it is something different. A lot of people like a lot of these kind of small anthology kind of books, um, that yeah. mirror a lot of kind of the way Pulp Fiction used to be, uh, back in the day. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see if it, I mean, I think it might have enough sales numbers to keep it going for a little bit. I don't think it's going to be some monumentally long run. Um, yeah, but, uh, but it's interesting positioning, and it's 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 maybe most interesting because it it heralds a change in the demographics, a successful change in the demographics of the readership, which all the publishers have been trying to push for. You know, Marvel and DC have been making changes to try and expand the pool of demographic of the type of readers they attract. I wonder if they're doing love and romances now because they they've hit a, a goal metric that tells them, okay, now now the pool of readers is sufficiently diverse that we can launch something like this and, and it can sustain for a while. So um, yeah. I thought it was pretty interesting. Uh, did you, you, so you read this, what did, what did you wind up scoring it?
1: I gave it a 6.5. Okay. I, I didn't like it too much either. The only one that stood out for me was uh, heartbroken from beyond the silent one.
0: Right, right, right,
1: right. I did like that one a lot. And the other ones were eh, okay. I, didn't like them too well but yeah the one that stands out is uh the silent panel ones because i don't know for some reason the story was much more interesting there and didn't need to tell any words which was i found pretty interesting and i yeah. still enjoyed it
0: and it's, it's not a story that hasn't been done before but the fact that it was done entirely as silent panels Um, And the way in which he kind of evolves through figuring out what he needs to do was the thing that was kind of heartbreaking in it. So uh, let's go on and talk about American Carnage number four. Both of us read, and I'm very interested to hear your opinions on this.
1: Okay. So, yeah, um, I'm going there's American Carnage number four. The writer is Brian Hill. Artist is Leandro Fernandez. Um, the colorist is Dean White, and the letters is uh, Pat Brazio And the story with this one is that uh, from the last issue, it there was like a a sh- uh, Richard White, right? The main character, he goes to his lawyer's house because of some incident that happened in the last issue, and there's a shootout in her house and. There, the there's a the shootout, and she, the the house is shut down, and they they try to go see after shot shootout was over. They went to go see who was doing shooting, but you don't find it. They just saw a cross, a burning cross, on the on the on the on like some tree posts. Yeah, so they saw a burning cross there. And they try to they I guess in this issue they call the cops, and the police was investigating the the crime and yeah they was investigating the crime and the detective decides to talk to uh Jennifer Morgan which is Rich's lawyer they they decide to talk to each other and find out why is, was there a burning cross on her house by her house because she's a white person and he, he was talking about how these things don't normally happen to white people. Was this anything had, had to do with your father? And she said that she, she is, she said that she, I mean, you could tell that she feels uncomfortable with the way that the detective is speaking to her because he says that this doesn't normally happen to white people with the cross. And I guess she didn't like that approach there. And she said that she was being very secretive. Like she said, like she knows it has to do with her father, but she didn't want to confront it to so the detective. So she's pretended that uh, that she's, she this has nothing to do with her dad, that she doesn't know. She's going to try to figure out what's been going on on her own. So the dad decides to leave her alone. And it cuts off to a part where Richard is talking to Jennifer's daughter. And he tells her, look, the, the daughter is wondering why. People want to hurt her or hurt her mother, or why the world is so messed up. Like, she thought that the world was, you know, I guess sunshine and rainbows, but it really isn't. So, uh, Richard decides to tell her like a story where, like, there's like a castle, like some Disney type, like some Disney World type castle. And he tells her you could walk into that, try to walk into that castle, but You'll never reach it because there's a whole bunch of monsters in your way in your path and that's how the world is like. There's always there's always that good place you want to get to, but you can never get there because there's always dangers interfering with your life, trying to be in your way. So it's like a an- analogy or metaphor kind of story he was telling her and how life actually is. Which I thought was pretty interesting. I like that aspect. And um they go in the car and, and Richard is wondering why he's talking to Jen about what's the situation. Why there's people, uh, attacking her and, and she just kept being secretive about it. She didn't want to tell him anything. And he kept hiding the secrets and she kicks him out of the car and, 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 Decides to keep her like she curses out at him, kick him out of the car, and she just runs off. And then there's a scene where the father is talking to the uh, one of his associates from the white supremacy group, and uh, apparently the the guy is um is mad at at. Jennifer's father, which his name was Wynn Morgan, yeah, he's mad at him because he's working with the cop. And for some reason, they found out the cop is actually half black and they feel uncomfortable that he's working with him or that his daughter's working with him. So they they want they want him out. They want him they want the they said they want him to not either to not work with the black guy, the, the cop that they're protecting. Or. Yeah. To, to leave the group. Or not. Or to don't work with him at all. They don't want him involved. In this. In this war. Between people. And. Yeah. They just didn't want him working. With the. Uh, with the. With the cop. So. Richard. I mean. Yeah. The cop is Richard. This right? guy's name. All of a sudden. Uh, so. So. Richard is. um, He wants to go talk to his friend. About what's been going on with Jen. And. She's trying to figure out. That you need to keep yourself alive. Get away from these people. That this. This woman is. Is going through some trouble. And she's trying to get him into trouble. And he just. Doesn't agree with his friend. He's he said they need to. That. Everything is fine. Don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. I got this. And he decides to go to a hotel, and there's a guy with a scary looking Obama mask on the in the hotel, and he decides to attack Richard with a shotgun. And and uh, there's also a scene where the father with Janet talking to her dad about what's going on, and talk about he was talking bad about the cop and he, i think he was talking about how how bad he's talking about bad stuff about black people that necessary aren't true obviously so yeah he's about how they're junkies or something like that and it's about he's dangerous they they don't want to work with him and stuff like that and the 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 Back, it goes back to Richard in the hotel, and he ends up getting shot with the shotgun, and Richard's on the floor, and and the the issue ends there. So um, I end up giving this issue a a because I really did like the. It was a very exciting issue to me. I did like the conflict that's going on, and it's pretty interesting to see that the white supremacy group did find out that Richard was half black and it's sort of affecting the white supremacy group to uh, split because I know they were I was thinking that I'm not so sure that Wynn's plan was to Win and Jen's plan was to find a way for Richard to get caught in some publicity like some social media where because people assume that he's a white man but he's actually half white and half black and they're, he just looks white on the outside and they're just trying to like get the social media rampage of I guess of a white man shooting a black cop, not black cop, I mean a white not white man Uh, a black uh, (laughs) a (laughs) <laughs> it's Richard being half black and half white. I mean, the, him posing as a white man, shooting a black guy in the. Because I know the sto- the story is that he shot a black, uh, innocent black guy, and the the story is evolving around that. Is that that they thought that he shot the guy for racist reasons, and and there's a whole entire conflict of him he lost his cop um his license to be a cop because of this whole controversy and and i think there these two people, his lawyer and the, the lawyer's father is trying to pit him in a more bad more rap, bad reputation with the cop about him shooting a uh, black man so so lawyer. explain so explain
0: something to you. who so and i don't know you may have mentioned it in uh... I was trying to get the social media outside so business. So this is a vertigo
1: book. He has a vertical book.
0: Who is this comic for? Like who is the like who is the primary audience for this? I
1: comic? think it's uh because to me it's more of a political book. I mean okay. the so writer you... br- the writer is Brian Hill and he's a black guy. And and I saw I follow him on Twitter. Okay. I actually liking his book a lot and decided to follow him on Twitter to see him. You could discuss any points of it, and it seems like it's a a political statement on how racism is now in in today's world. Okay, it's
0: it's it's a bit of a political socio. It it read to me like like a like a noir comic, like almost like a hard boiled like hard crime kind of kind of book and I, I i had I struggled a little bit to kind of nail it down um, and I think for one of those reasons is like I'm trying to put it in a genre to figure out like how to approach it and get my arms around it and I struggled with that a, a, a little bit um, I, I thought the most interesting things were this relationship between um, the main character and the 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 daughter of the leader of the white supremacy organization who clearly has feelings for for him, but also like, like is like is kind of semi rejecting him or whatever. So,
1: um, and well, then- he's not involved in the white supremacy group. It's just that the lawyer that he works for, because he's trying to get himself not guilty for the right for the crime he committed as a cop. Yeah, in the previous issues. So, uh, so yeah, because he he said that he killed he shot the the black guy by accident he didn't shoot him on purpose but the media portrayed that he did shot him and he was like a racist white man but he really isn't right so so he's trying to get out of that situation and he found out that this lawyer that he that was hired for him works with the is a white supremacy group and they're trying to pit him into trouble more media controversy trouble for himself
0: yeah. So it's, uh, and, I, and the other thing, I, I mean, I, I don't know if they make it a criticism of the book. It's, it's, very, it was very difficult to, to kind of do a drop in on it. it. It almost, it's like, yeah. <laughs> and, and again, you know,
1: you have to read like the first issue to get what's going on.
0: Right. And, and some, and some people have a problem when I do a drop in and I, and, I, and I comment on a comic when I haven't been, but I'm like, okay, so <clears throat> if it turns out I want to read this book and I need to go read it in trade, my sampling of, a, of an issue as it comes out is, is my approach path to that, right? I If I yeah. like what I read, then I'm like, okay, d- I mean, just like a TV show, right? If a TV season is in run and you haven't watched the whole thing, everybody doesn't necessarily go back to the beginning of the season, right, to get into it. They they watch, like, the episode that came out, like, that week. And they're like, oh, yeah, I do like this. Let me go back and, like, go ahead and spend the additional time to, to work through all the stuff. So it's, a, it, again, kind of like uh, – kind of like love romance is number one. It's an interesting piece to land like in the industry, given the market, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, and again, you know, vertigo is there because the core capes and tight stuff fund the ability for other writers to go off and do this stuff. So uh, it's good. I personally gave the issue a 6.5. I definitely, part of that was like my inability was there's like zero exposition in the book. Uh, at all, right? There's, there is nothing that tells you like what the setup is or the story that's going on. Yeah, just
1: continue from the last issue. Yeah,
0: yeah. All right, right. So in that, you know, and and when when there's zero, and I know that the industry has has leaned more towards lesser exposition, but I'm like kind of give me a little bit of a crutch, right, to lean on, you know, rather than you know, rather than always presuming that everybody who's coming to your book has read, like, the preceding three issues. So, I mean, even just for, like, the person who missed, like, the last issue, I right? Re- read issues one and two, but for some reason missed number three. You know, you got you to gotta throw them a bone to help them get into it. Let's go on and talk about Return of Wolverine number five.
1: All right. Uh, the Return of Wolverine is... Uh... The writer is uh, Charles Soule. Artist is Stephen McNeven Or Niven, I think. Inker uh, is Jay Lyston. Colorist is Laura Martin. And letters is V.C. J- Joe's, Joe Sabino. So this is like the final issue of of Wings Return. Like, is a, a mini-series of him returning and um in this issue, um yeah, this is the final issue of that series and um it's it starts with um Wolverine talking to uh no it starts with, yeah it talks it starts with Warreen looking for Festfrong, which is like is this villain that revived him from his grave and Started using him in experiments and stuff like that. So he he wants to go find her because he's been manipulating her and messing with. and the previous issue, he he messed with her head a little bit because there's like a two people that he saved and and was like caring for in this place because this is like the whole. This first phone it actually created some type of. Facility where she, because the thing is, her pretty used to control the dead, and she made this whole world where uh, that she 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 gives a life to all these people that had died, like she gives them all their goals and dreams and careers and lives, whatever they wanted. Yeah, so they live in this facility and they work for her too. So that's what um she tells Logan what's her job here what she does do and then uh Wolverine doesn't like all this this thing going on he doesn't like that she's controlling people and doing whatever there is to their lives and he doesn't like that he, you know he's being manipulated by her and he wants to he's tried to go kill her but he finds out that is that is a hologram. It's not actually her. She's not actually there. And she burns his skin and he kills back. And he tries to go to one of the satellites. And he sees a whole bunch of people working in the sat- in the satellite. And he wants to he want he asks them if the, he knows where first phone really is, because Obviously, that wasn't her there. That was just a hologram. And they say they don't know where she is. No one knows where she is. They, they're just controlled by her. And they had to do what she what she tells them to do. And So, he wants to destroy all the satellites. And he ends up finding ways to destroy all the satellites with the computers. And he wants the satellite that he's on to be destroyed. But he wants the only way. There's no way for... The people to escape, and he said Wolverine doesn't care. He just wants to get out. He wants the satellites to go down, and the people start panicking. And all of a sudden, uh, a bunch of men come in and decide to fight Logan. And after he, they he defeats some. What is it? Uh, he gets he's as he's fighting. There's like some memories of Waring talking to himself because I think there's like a whole bunch of clones of Waring in the in the in the facility that he was in. And He has some memories of that. He's thinking back to that, and he continues fighting. And then first one tries to stop him, and and Logan just keeps saying that you're not going to stop me. I want out of here. You can't control me. I want to go back home. So she decides to uh, let him go, but she says that she's gonna do something to him in the future, and she doesn't. Uh, that she's she's not gonna like it when he has when she has control over him against like people that are close to him, and they're not gonna realize it if it's Logan acting this way or is her doing the the work and. And he just wants to get out. He just, the satellite burns down and they, it shoots down and then it shots, it goes into the ocean and there's like a boat and, and Wolverine ends up on that boat and then the story fast forwards to, um, it fast forwards to, to him in the X Mansion and he notices that even he knows someone's there when he opens when the door opens and that's where it cuts off um i know that i get this issue a 5.0 cuz it's just i don't like how this story ended cuz to me it's just like to me were uh logan did not have any sympathy for those people that were in the satellite he just they didn't care that they were going to die there. And the satellite just burns down with the people in there. And <laughs> it's just like, okay, we you're not going to care about those people. I actually thought you cared about people. You said it earlier, how you care about these people being mind controlled by her. And all of a sudden you don't care about those people that were in that satellite and let you let them get burned as they enter the earth. Cause the satellite ends up being destroyed. <laughs> And yeah, and those people don't escape, they end up dead. So I just didn't understand that. And to me, it didn't seem like Logan at all. So, uh, another thing is that, uh, he doesn't, what bothers me in this entire story is that, uh, they, I remember in the last issue, um, Logan finds out about first on um, the first phone, the the, the villain is under this whole operation and the X-Men went to go. They find out that Logan is here and they go save. they went to go to go save him and they couldn't defeat the soldiers that were fighting. I mean, they couldn't, they couldn't defeat the soldiers and Logan's Logan was mind controlled and he was, I'm not sure. I'm not sure it's mind control, but she has the ability to control the dead. So he was. Con- she was controlling him to fight the X Men, and all of a sudden, the X Men decide to retreat. They decide to evacuate, and they don't even bother saving him. They just leave the situation, and it's just never returned back. And it's just, ah, uh, because to me, I don't. I thought the X-Men one, cause Kitty probably mentions that she's not gonna give up. She's gonna save she could do whatever she can to save or to save Logan and she just doesn't. She gives up. And everyone decides to retreat to the the, the facility that they Logan was in, leave him there abandoned. And it's just to me it seemed very out of character. I, I sort of not to like I like the first three issues, but the fourth and fifth one just was garbage <laughs> for me the art is great. I love the art by Steve McNiven, but the story is just not good for me. And I just didn't enjoy the story anymore. Uh and it's just uh this whole editorial with War rain because it's just you don't know there's different continuities going on with Logan and Logan was in Infinity Wars and uh Apparently, when I read Infinity Watch number one, the spoilers, uh, you find out the Warring Infinity Watch issue. The You find out that uh, the Waring that was in Infinity Wars, the, the event that came out last year, was not Logan. It was a different alternate Earth Logan that had the Phoenix powers. And he was giving the Infinity Gems to different people. And it was like, ugh. Did they just come out with this in the last minute because the story that was returned of the, the story that Charles Soule came up with for Return of the Warring was not the same story that that Jerry Duggan had in the Infinity Wars? So they decided to come up with this bogus story that oh, that, that wasn't Logan, that was a different Logan from who knows where because they haven't explained. Where that Phoenix warring comes from. He is just some mystical warring that came out of nowhere <laughs> with the Phoenix powers. And it's just uh I just hate that. There is no I don't know, but I feel like there's when they when I'm wondering, is there like a meeting when it comes to these comic book writers? Do they actually tell each other what are they gonna do? What's the game plan? Because it just seems like people just doing their own thing willy-nilly and no one knows what's going on in each other's books and it's just it bothers me that people could have control like this in a in a company like this it's just oh i'm going to put a character here even though it could cause plot hole issues with another book i just don't care i just want the book to be this way and i'm going to tell the story my way and i don't care how many plot holes it causes for other readers to read other books and it's just to me, it seems like editors don't do anything again. It just—I don't know. I—I I don't like to sound critical of a com- of a company, but I know Marvel and DC both do this. And to me, there's no organization on how to put things in place when it comes to these comic books. It's just <laughs> a character could be dead in one issue, and he could be dead alive in the next. Like Ugh, Hugo Strange was. Dies in Deathstroke, and then he appears back alive again in Detective Comics, and they right. run issue apart from each other. Right? Ah, like, it just gets me annoyed that things happen like that.
0: Well, I definitely feel your pain. Uh, I'm going to push on and go ahead and talk about Man of War number 24. Yeah.
1: Uh, that was a read. long rant. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's fine. And I didn't read it, so I actually don't have anything of uh, value to add to that conversation. Um, very quickly, uh, writer Matt Kent, uh, artist by Thomas Giorello, colorist uh, Diego Rodriguez, and letters by Dave Sharp. Um, so the situation is that, uh, that uh, once again, uh, Elric is hunted by armored mercs who all want his... Armor, it seems like this has been the scenario of Man of War. Uh, Man of War, every issue um, since time began in a lot of ways. Uh, now, I dropped off of it after, I think it was Venditti who was, did the big run on it.
1: Yeah, let's fit the issues.
0: Okay. I do that um, one better. Yeah, so I, so I bounced uh, after Venditti completed his run. Still, this issue does exactly what Man of War is supposed to do, which is provide a big macho, aggro, righteousness-fueled fight anthem of a story, um, and that's exactly what you get here delivered in spades. So uh, so the story features the kind of villains that you love to hate. Um, they are arrogant. They are kind of dillwads the classic sense of the term who inspire you to hate them and wish them to be gone. There's really not a ton of complexity in the story, right? It's just, look, there's a bunch of bad guys and they want your armor, so either fight them or they will take it. Um, you know, uh, so you know, so this this issue does a bunch of seesawing back and forth, where alternately, al- alternately, um, uh, for some reason, I keep I uh, keep wanting to call him uh, Diego. Where Alric keeps getting attacked, um, and then uh, in as he gets back into scenarios that he shouldn't be able to come back from, he he pulls off, you know, these kind of last stand. Uh, hits our combat maneuvers and makes it through until the very end, uh, where he uh, is a, is, a uh, is is attacked, I think, with a knife at some point, in that, and then thrown uh, several miles away, I think, which is kind of what takes the fight out of him to a great deal, at least as far as we can tell. Now, what you get, and it caused me to have a little bit of shakiness in how they stuck the landing on this, um, you have him... Uh, caught or attended to by a female character who I don't know, and again I'm not a full blown expert on Man of War lore, um, but again if if you're going to slide a character in uh, on the last panel, um, and you have no exposition, exposition that's going to cause an impact. and And yeah, I get it. We'll probably fi- definitely find out who that character is um, for those of who, those of us who don't already know. Next issue, um, but yeah, you know, I wish. You know, even even if you did the, like, the cliche thing of, like, when she shows up and, and holds him in her arms, if he would just say her name, right? So we would know um, who that was supposed to be. But alas, they don't. Now, the artwork here is what really does it for this issue. It is amazing, amazing and gorgeous. It looks like a painted picture. Um, uh, tons of detail. Uh, and it's very much akin to, so Titan Comics has a lot of French and Swedish artists working for it now who um, have crafted stories, uh, you know, that basically come out of the, you know, in some cases the mythology of a given region of the world. Um, But there's a a number of these guys uh, that they have doing uh, books, which are larger order books. Um, You know, War of Crowns is one of them that I read earlier this year. And then, uh, you know, the girl who I can't, I I can never remember what the titles of those books are. Um, but they did, uh, another, um, you know, the follow-up is kind of sequel to the first four books or whatever in comic book form. So that's a new arc on its own. Um, uh, but that's, that, that art reminds me of what, um, uh, uh, uh Giorello does in this comic. It's, the art's just exquisite. Um, it's a well-formulated, beautifully colored, uh, all sorts of trappings, um, of, of like I said, painted portraits on every panel. So almost every panel in this book, you could pull it out, put it on a canvas, frame it, put it up in the hall, and I think a lot of people would buy it. Um, the panel work here is really good. Um, it's also inclusive of a round shaped vignette and letterbox panels, um, which I thought was really interesting. Um, it's kind of like what again the the book. This is a regular twenty four page issue. You pop it open and flip through it. It looks to me like a graphic novel uh easily. So at the end of the day I also gave this issue an eight point five. Steven, did you read this issue and have any differing thoughts no,
1: on it? I didn't read this issue because I dropped X of War. Because <laughs> you were unhappy with it up until this point, yeah. And I I I also heard that this they're relaunching the series after uh issue twenty seven will be the last one. Right right, 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 Because I think this book did not sell well so they relaunched it with a new writer right and I did not like mankind's uh run on Xo Man war it was just I don't like that he put him off world into space and right. he he does come back to earth I mean obviously you see that he's in earth now right I just didn't like that he's so separated from the rest the people of people that he lived with and his wife and his children right. and his friends and so he, did- it became so out of place, and I just didn't like that aspect.
0: Right? Did you read Matt Kine's run on Ninjak?
1: Um, yeah, I did read it. Okay. I did like that one.
0: Okay. Right, I right, do right.
1: like Matt writing when he on Ninjak, and I did like his writing on Rye. Okay. Yeah, a, yeah, yeah. A futuristic, right. Bloodshot type of character. Yep. I did love that run. It's just for me. I don't think he wrote. Um, XO Man wore that well for me. It just didn't work. It just didn't work with me for the character. I just okay. didn't find the stories particularly that interesting. I just, yeah, it just wasn't for me.
0: Okay. So we are over an hour. Let's go ahead and, uh, yeah, try and push through. Uh, you've got, um, you
1: Jones.
0: Know, Purple Daughter number two
1: That's Yeah. Final
0: review part piece of the review segment.
1: Yeah. Um, so yeah, just. Jessica Jones, Purple Daughter Number Two, is written by Kelly Thompson, artist is Mateo de Luis. Uh graphic designer is Carlos Low, Letters is VC Corey Petty. So, um, so yeah, this this um issue it is, starts with uh. It starts with um what is it? Um Jessica talking to Daredevil, asking for advice on how to how to deal with Killgrave and he tells her that uh you can use some technology or you can try to focus on your willpower to not let him control you to because that's what he basically does. He he focuses on his will and his Power abilities because his his abilities not like everyone else. He can he could control his 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 uh he can be able to not let Kilgrave control him because of his abilities, which is not a great explanation, but whatever. Uh, but he said you could use some tech, so so Emma decides to think about that, and not Emma. Uh, Jessica decides to think about that. And she's you see her spend time with her daughter, telling her a bedtime story. So she goes to bed, and she overhears Luke Cage and Iron Fist talking about his daughter. Yeah, he talks about his daughter. Luke Cage is wondering if the kid was his, or yeah, if the child was ever his, or is it Kilgrave's? And Jessica is just hearing over that. She starts crying and she's going through a series of emotions there. And she walks in and just they notice that uh, she heard everything that they were talking about. And he said um, Luke Cage does talk about he's gonna take care of the kid. He doesn't care if it's killed, graves, or his. He's gonna he's gonna do what he has to do. He's a father. And he's gonna be, be with Jessica no matter what, and Jessica was happy to hear that, knowing that he would still be the father somehow. Danny Cage is not uh his Luke Cage's father. It's not. So yeah, he they they had the discussion, and uh, Jessica Jones said that she has to go meet up with somebody can you take care of Danny, Daniel Cage, Danielle Cage? Yeah, and so so Iron Fist and Luke Cage decided to take care of the daughter while she goes meet up with Emma Frost and they had some discussion about what's going on and what he what she needs to use her for in this situation with, with, with Kilgrave and talk about her daughter and and how she needs her help. So Emma decides to go help her. Um, she said that they're going to meet up later in some point in time later in the issue. Uh, Jessica Jones decides to do a series of investigations where other people who had purple children, because she finds out that there's other people who have uh, kids with, um, with purple man's DNA on them. They're like they also have children that are purple skinned, and they're they going through life troubles with that. And Jessica Jones investigates some and tries to see what's going on, but she really doesn't get enough information from them because they're very secretive and they try to avoid giving her any size source of information. So she ends up leaving, and all of a sudden she's in the when she's in the park. Killgrave's daughter is starts attacking Jessica Jones. She's like mind controlled, tries to get shoot her with a syringe, but it doesn't work. I mean, this Jessica Jones fights her off and doesn't let her get shot. So she tries to uh, Jessica disguises to go to the um, to where she finds the Purple Children, which is a whole bunch of kids that Killgrave controls made into made a bunch of children as with his abilities it was in Daredevil series with um uh mark Wade it was Mark Wade's run that he had a bunch of kids that turned into pur- they were called the purple children it's just they were with abilities of sabotage Kilgrave has um so yeah they decide to talk and she brings Emma Frost to 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 come in and find out who is who who did this to her daughter and stuff like that. So um, they go into the room. Emma Frost gives Jessica this type of technology that that no one can enter her mind in and after that uh, there's a whole bunch of people attacking. Emma Frost, she gets shot with some syringe, and now she's controlled by, by something. It looks like then uh, you they fight. Emma Frost is fighting Jessica Jones, and she's able to knock her out. And then a whole bunch of other civilians start attacking her. Even Luke Cage comes in and starts attacking Jessica Jones. Jessica Jones fights them off and. uh, well, she she fights the civilians off, but she doesn't fight Luke Cage off. She tries to, and he knocks her out, takes her to a room, and oh no, 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 it's not really. Jessica Jones does end up knocking out Luke Cage, and she goes into the room, and she finds out that the whole thing that's behind the only the person's behind the situation was a new son of Kilgrave. Apparently, he has another another son named Benjamin and he doesn't have any powers so his way for for him to have the same powers as his father he decides to do some blood work, some blood blood transfusion kind of thing and somehow whatever he's doing is allowing him to to control people and he ends up uh, controlling he ends up breaking the he tells Luke Cage to break the, the tech that she had and, and somehow he has control over her and the issue just ends right there. Um, I decided to give this issue a 7.0. I did not like the story too much. It was very weak this time around. The art was beautiful. I did like the art. It's very detailed. It's like the best art I've seen in comic books with Mateo DeLuit. He does such a great art in here, but to me, the story felt very weak. I just, I just didn't understand what was Emma Frost's purpose in here. Like, it just complicates things because, <clears throat> to me, um, Emma Frost, she in her personality is uh, like of a way like she's not gonna do something for someone willingly. Unless she's going to gain something in return. She doesn't just. Because she's not the type of person. She does care about people in some way. But she has some selfishness. That she wouldn't care about someone fully. So it's just weird that. Jessica Jones. Is not going to give her anything. Or she's not gaining anything. In return for Jessica. And she's just. Oh I'll just do this for you. For no reason at all whatsoever. And. It just doesn't make any sense to me because in previous continuity with Emma Frost, she's working with, she's, she hates humans and she's, she's gone into this whole evolution that she hates humans and she just only wants to work for mutants and get what mutants want for their lives. And she doesn't, she became like a, the way the original Magneto was. So It just seems kind of weird that she's working with Jessica. And Jessica is like... She's superhuman and she's not immune at all. It just seems weird that she's working for her. And has some compassion towards her. To me, that's not like... To me, this is not like how Emma works for me. Especially in the stage that she's in right now. And the turning point of her character. So, it just didn't work for me. It just felt like it was out of character for her to work with Jessica Jones like this. And it's just... Uh, I just didn't understand why Emma, when she enters the room, she didn't know that there's a person there with a syringe to control her. And it just seems weird that that in order for um, Kilgrave's son to control people, he has to shoot them with a syringe. But for some reason, he doesn't shoot Jessica Jones with a syringe. He doesn't inject word with a syringe. And somehow he controls her at the end of the issue. That didn't make any sense. And it's to me to under, in order to, how, they don't explain how he gets control over Luke Cage because it's, to use a syringe on Luke Cage is kind of difficult because the skin is unbreakable. And every time I take Luke Cage to the hospital, they can't use any needles on him because if they use it, the, the needle breaks. So I don't know how they work that out. And they don't explain that. It's just, oh, he just has control over him for some reason. So it's like, okay, how is this how is Kilgrave's son's ability really work? Explain that to me, because you did not explain that so well in this book. It was poorly explained. And it's just uh it's just and how did Jessica Jones find out about the serious investigations of people who had purple children in the life so that shouldn't that her question her to make her think that oh maybe my daughter is not Kilgrave's um daughter because there's other people that are in the same situation she's in and they could have done some paternity tests to prove it but they don't do that which is kind of weird and it's just uh the story is not good for me it's just uh and i don't understand to me Jessica could have got another telepath for this situation. Could have gotten Jean Grey or Psylocke. Why did you put Emma Frost, who has very complicated personality issues in uh, comic books? It just makes the more story more difficult than it should shouldn't shouldn't be. But yeah, that's my rant on it. <laughs> but yeah, that's it. I'll go to the it- next one. <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, why don't we go have you go straight into the best thing that you read last week, and and like I said, let's try and uh, push to uh,
1: to wrap things up. All right. Um, the next issue is Maz Morales Spider Man number three. Um, it's written by um, Saladin Ammon. artist is Javier Garone, colors is Daniel Corral, and letters is VC Corey Petty. So um, this story is still going off a last issue where <clears throat> Rhino ends up, Rhino and Miles Morales ends up meeting Captain America in the same area where they find the kids being kidnapped and using powers, whatever. So in there, they uh, they, they Captain America and Miles Morales and Rhino start working together. They try to figure out where they could find the facility of where all the kids are. So they do end up finding the facility where all the kids are, and they run into this villain called a snatcher. And they fight him off. Yeah, they fight him off, and uh, after they defeat him, they actually find the kids that they were that were missing, and they call the cops and. They take Snatcher and they decide to end the day. It's it's a very rushed to story. They end they end the day there and uh what is it, Captain America said that he has some congresswoman to to help the kids find their parents and return home. So Rhino ends up finding his 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 niece and the situation is solved and Miles goes back to school and finds out that the, the girl that he's talking to, she says that, oh, my brother is home. They found him finally and they, they end up, after that conversation was over, he takes out to the movies and the issue ends there. So, I decided to give this issue a 9.0 because I really like how Miles is written in this series. And I know... I'm not sure people are... Is, I'm not sure be any controversial, but to me, I did not like Spider-Verse that much because to me, they changed the character of Miles. I didn't like that that Miles was into art in the, that movie. It kind of lost my interest into that movie because to me, Miles is more of a science kid. And to me... They even show that in the Marvel Spider-Man cartoon that's gone on in the Disney Channel that that uh he's into science stuff like Peter Parker. And I I like that element for for Miles and he's very intelligent in that stuff. And in this book they actually show him being into science stuff. It's just like very interesting because there is a certain part in the storyline in this story that uh when they go to find out um where the facility is with these kids, and um uh Mao starts speaking in scientific terms, and I I like that about him, that he actually showed his science work in here. Like he noticed there's some um, thing called Peg block on South Face, something like that. And uh, he does some, he finds that on the floor and and does some, like, he's able to find where, he is a, finding the lead to where the trail is, where the facility, where the villains are, where the villain is with the children. So he uses his scientific skills to order to get to where they are. And I actually like that, and I have some appreciation for that, for that, for that. And I'm just glad that you know that Saladin doesn't change the character because I know some people are requesting to have the character that's in the Spider Verse movie and transfer over to to um, the comic books. And I don't agree with that because I don't like the idea of changing the character. Because they don't find science that interesting. They just say, oh, art is more interesting than science for some reason. I just didn't appreciate that change to the character. I didn't want that to transfer to the comic books. So I'm kind of glad it's not there. So, cool.
0: So, so this was the best thing you read this week. What, what was your score on this issue?
1: I gave a 9.0. I just like the art and I like the story with Rhino. I did like. The Captain America, he did not know how to use technology. I, I really appreciate that. That right. <laughs> he needed Miles' help to use technology. And it just worked so well with the characters, relationships. And Snatcher is a pretty interesting villain to fight. They The characters struggle with him. And he has some cool, interesting powers. And overall, I thought it was a very interesting story. And I did like the human the human aspect of Rhino on it is just a very human story for me. I really appreciate that. So yeah, that's about it.
0: Cool man, very good. So for me, the uh, the best thing that I read last week was ExO uh, Man War number twenty four, which we already talked about. Uh, at length uh, so for my honorable mentions this week, uh, we had Justice League number eighteen, which I think I mentioned that scored an eight point five. Um, the one uh, addition in my honorable mentions. Was uh, incursion number one a valiant comic, uh, written by Andy Diggle uh, with pencils by Doug Brathwaite. and uh, my review score on that was uh, was an eight point oh. So o- overall, a pretty good week. Uh, Stephen, what were your honorable mentions?
1: Uh, my honorable mentions was uh, it was eight all the way across. Um, it's Black Widow two, Black Order number four, and ensemble was number five. I all gave them eight point that's it.
0: Okay, very cool. And for my pull list uh, for the upcoming week, I'll be pulling uh, Detective Comics number nine nine nine, Fantastic Four number seven, Superior Spider-Man number three, Life is Strange number four uh, from Titan Comics, uh, Forgotten Queen. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what number it is. I have number one. It's number
1: one. Okay, it's the right. first issue.
0: Okay, I thought I thought it may have been out. Um, so yeah, Forgotten Queen number one, a another comic by Valiant, uh, Daredevil number two, which will be my first drop in. On um, Is it Zadarsky who's on it now?
1: Yes, yeah, Zadarsky. Chip Zdarsky. Savage
0: Sword of Conan, number two. Sideways, number 13. The Flash, number 65. And The Terrifics, number 13. Steven, go ahead and take us out by uh, running down your pull list for the upcoming.
1: All right, my pull list is Action Comics, number 1008. Age of X-Men, The Extremists* number one. Adventures, No Road, Hall, number three. Batgirl number 32. Battle and Beyond, number 29. The Books of Magic, number 5. Captain America, number 8. Captain Marvel, Braver... Braver no, Braver, and Mightier, number 1, which is just a one-shot. Um, Daredevil, number 2. Detective Comics, 999. The Flash, number 65. The Forgotten Queen, number one. Freedom Fighters, number three. Invaders, number two. John Wick, number five, which is the final issue. Uh, John... Not John. Justice League Odyssey, number six. Marvel Comics Presents, number two. Outcast, number 39, which is Image. Uh, Suzanne, number three. Sideways, number 13, is another final issue of the series. Uh, The Sinister, number 14, it's always dot the offer number twenty-nine. Superior Spider-Man number three, the terror Fix number thirteen, and X Force number three. Okay, that's it.
0: Very cool, man. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining in on this episode of uh, What's Your Issue? Episode number twenty, where we briefed the comics that shipped the twentieth of February two thousand and. 19 on behalf of myself, my co host, the E2KG Network podcasting channel, and the Rounding Off Infinity Gaming channel on YouTube. That's going to do it for us. My name has been a guest, please. until next time, take care of yourselves, happy hunting, and stay safe out there. We will see you guys right back here next week to talk about those nice, juicy comics that we just ran down in our poll list. So, uh, if you have any thoughts or opinions on anything that we discussed, or want to uh, suggest a, uh, a piece of content, or uh, you know, any um, improvements that you'd recommend, uh, hit us up on Twitter at uh, E2KG Network. Thanks so much, everybody. That's going to do it for us. We're out.
1: Later.